0: I hold in my hand today something that is of great value. We call it the Bible. This uh, anything of great value, it doesn't come easy. In this culture, we can tend to lose sight of those things that have been given to us and the things that we've inherited that, that that cost a lot, that are of high cost. We feel that about our country, don't we? that the the high cost that has allowed us on this Mother's Day to sit in this room and enjoy peace and freedom and democracy came with a lot of drops of blood and lives shed. But as time goes on, it's easy to forget that, and the cost of it, the expense of it seems to erode, and so it is with the Bible. You can pick one up at Publix today. You can pick one up at a Christian bookstore or Barnes & Noble or Amazon. They seem so readily available. That's not true for every place in the world. Today there are places in the world that if you held this Bible, even being in your possession, you would lose your life or be imprisoned or, and tortured. And so as Americans, it's easy to, to have eroded from our minds and our, our, our way of thinking how much this costs. It costs those who throughout history have given their lives to put it in our hands. And again, that's so living in a country that is covered in security, it's easy to to lose sight of that. Today, the Bible is the focus of our attention. We're told that the scripture is the word of God and it, and it, it is of high value because it was a high cost. And so before, before we begin, I'm going to ask you to pray. And I know that in sitting in a room on Sunday morning, there's such a variance of experiences and backgrounds. For some of you, you've never read the Bible. For some of you, you're studiers of the Bible. Some of you are moderate readers of the Bible. I know that it's it's a it's a topic that can, make, uh, can bring a little guilt as Christians. Like, wow, I really haven't spent much time in it. It's a topic that can... Evoke emotions of anger with some people uh, because of the claims that we make as Christians and the claims that the Word of God makes. It it is a topic that can invoke comfort, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, range of of uh, what it can do for us as human beings. But today, here's what I'm praying for, and I want you to join me. Ask you to join me in prayer that, in the least, that God would elevate thinking of the Word of God and the value and the treasure that we have, even though it's even when it's so readily available, that I know without a shadow of a doubt, talking to so many Christians, that we've eased too much on our uh, and and the privilege of the possession of the Word of God. So I'm going to ask, going to ask you to pray with me, and that that supernaturally we can't do it on our own. Supernaturally, God would. Elevate His Word today to the, to the place that it deserves to be. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we're so grateful for Your Word. It seems such an abbreviated expression. There have been men and women who have died for this Word. There are men and women today, on this very day, that are willing to die for this Word. And yet, as Christians, God in America, it's so it's so accessible. It's on our phones. It's in on the web, on the internet. It's in bookstores. It's inexpensive to purchase. So, supernaturally, Father, I'm asking that you would elevate our understanding, our appreciation, our value, God, for something that is of such such a treasure. So with this in mind, we open our minds, we open ourself, we open our hearts, our reasoning, our rationale. We open ourselves to you, God, because on our own we can easily just see through human lenses. And for this reason, God, I'm asking that you elevate us supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit for Christ. Amen. This Bible is like a map. A map not only tells you where you're going, but it tells you where you are. And it not only tells you where you are, if it's a good map, it will tell you where you've been. So, I, you know, most people have smartphones these days. I love my smartphone uh, in many ways because of the GPS. I get not just mildly lost. I get very lost, not infrequently. I, I don't know what it is. I just have a horrible sense of, direction i was in uh our uh joel fairby is 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 in our tech booth today he's on our staff and uh six months ago or so or maybe i guess longer than that because he wasn't married yet but i i went to his apartment building and i was driving around and um i got my found this deal and i was leaving and it's like a typical apartment you know complex where there are many many buildings that look exactly the same This would be like the worst place a guy like me can be because I kept driving and driving and driving and the entrance I knew was somewhere, but at 15 minutes later, I had to call him and say, hey, I'm lost. And the reason I know I'm lost is I've seen the same dumpster a dozen times. I keep going by the dumpster and I couldn't get out. That was before I had a smartphone. Now I have a smartphone and I love that little blinking dot, you know, where it tells you right where you are. And there's another dot that tells you where you're going. And as you travel, I'm I'm telling you like you've never seen a smartphone. You know, the little blinking dot. I'm fascinated by that. Sometimes I just get lost to see if it will help me find, you know, get me out. But then there's Siri. I do not like her. (laughs) See, I have a witness over here. Yes. How many people have gotten lost with Siri? Come on. There you go. A lot of people. Oh, yes. I say we boycott her. Because one time I was going somewhere, and uh, honestly, after 20 miles on Clark Road going east, and there were no more people, I'm like, do I reach a stage out here where there's not even any more vegetation? You know, like you get to a certain altitude on a mountain. Um, and I'm like, just my logic had to kick in and say, well, something's wrong with that. Well, the study of maps is that way. That The, the history is fascinating. It's cartography. That's the science of, the, uh, of uh, map drawing. And you gotta imagine that nowadays, the reason they can have the blinking light is because we have satellites. And satellites look down, and man, you can see every inch of every place. You can see a guy sitting on the back of his porch once they took the, you know, the the satellite picture, right? And now because of that, the the maps are extraordinarily accurate, but it hasn't always been that way. I don't know if you know, but for a couple of centuries at least, people thought that, that California was an island. They believed it because that's what the map said. In fact, I brought a picture uh, of it that the, this the I believe the Spaniards originally drew California as an island to a certain degree. California is still an island. Uh, but <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, so but it, it, they they saw this and they kept passing it down for so for hundreds of years. This is the way they thought it was. So when I was reading this article, check these words out. Welcome to the world of cartographic errors, misjudgment, and deceptions. Sometimes it's that the ma- it's the map that's wrong, but sometimes the blame lies within the map's reader. Today, that statement forms ver- two very strong questions for us to ask as as Christ followers regarding the map: Is it the map, or is it us? Is it the Word of God, or is it the way we're viewing the Word of God? Two very, very strong questions, because when you look at that statement about this map in reference to the Bible today, there are many questions in this culture about what's going on. And I would propose that when there is an issue that is on the table, it is always an issue behind the issue. You see, there's an issue, and we've talked about it, we've prayed about it in the Supreme Court now, but the real issue behind the issue, it's about freedom of speech. But then you go further back, and freedom of speech, really, it comes back, and lots of roads trickle back to, is the map that we have accurate? Is, it, is, it, uh, the, is there fidelity to this? Now, see, we're in this conversation about fidelity, in fact. This is the last Sunday, but it wasn't supposed to be. Last Sunday, a week ago, it was supposed to end the series. But because of the things I see in the news, because of the issues that are on the table, and primarily because of the conversations that I'm hearing within the house of God, within the Christian culture, I said, I wrote to those that are, that are on my team, I said, I can't end the series yet. I must speak about The Fidelity and the Word of God. Because it is an increasing significant issue in our culture. Not so much with the world as we'll see. Because the world has always had an adversity to the Word of God. But with those who consider themselves to be Christ followers. This is the key of where we're going. We already understand how the world might view the Bible but how do we view the Bible? It's one of the questions that we'll ask today. And so today, as we close this, this series of conversations, this collection on this topic of fidelity, we begin by looking at the Word of God and some very, very basics about the Word of God. First of all, we begin by saying, okay, what does the Bible say about the Bible? What does it claim? Because maybe it doesn't claim to have high fidelity, high reliability, high reliability. But the Bible actually claims some very high, uh, makes some very high statements about the fidelity of the word of God. For example, in Psalm 12, verse 6, we read these words. And the words of the Lord are flawless. Let me hold up right there. You notice he didn't say the word of the Lord, but he said the details. The details, the, the inches the centimeters of the Bible are important. The words, the very words that God has given to us, they're flawless. You know what the word flawless means in Hebrew? Flawless. It doesn't take a rocket scientist or a theologian to figure it out. It's flawless. That means we believe that the word of God is infallible, that it is without mistake, that it has not been eroded, that it is, is what God intended it for it to be. The word of God is flawless like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. Not only is it flawless, the claims that the Bible makes, but it is eternally set. That means it doesn't move around. Watch this. Psalm 119 and verse 89. Now, David wrote Psalm 119. It's the longest psalms, uh, psalm of the entire collection, 150 uh, psalms. And it's the psalm that talks about the Word of God. In fact, every single verse refers to the Bible, either in the word statutes or laws or whatever that may be. And it's written acrostically. It's interesting that it's like if we were to say, I'm going to take the entire alphabet. David took the entire Hebrew alphabet. And just to put it in our terms in the English language, he started with A. And then every verse began with A for about eight verses, and it was all about the Bible. And then he began with B, and then every verse began with B, and it was about the Bible. And then C, and all the way through the Hebrew uh, alphabet. Brilliant how he put this together. And so in Psalm 119, David writes this. Not only is the word of God flawless, but your word, O Lord, is eternal, That means it surpasses what we know as human beings as time. It's eternal and it stands firm in the heavens. Guess what? He's not changing it now. He didn't change it then and he's not going to change it in the future. It is eternally set. So when we read these words, we think, well, okay, you're telling me that the Bible is flawless and it's also eternally set. It's not moving so let's go ahead and just tackle one of the arguments that's often made. But isn't it written by human beings? And human beings are messed up. And so if they're, if they're messed up, human beings writing a thing, isn't it going to be messed up? But see, God says, well, not so fast. Because there are moments in time where God, it's like a supernatural delta where the, the power and the Holy Spirit of God converges with our humanness and God wins out and accomplishes what he's trying to accomplish. That is the way it is with the word of God. Watch 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. And you, you notice it doesn't say some scripture. You notice that it doesn't say well the scripture that we like to read or the easier verses. Every all scripture is God-breathed. See God took dirt, he formed man basically dirt and he breathed into it and you have this convergence of the supernatural and the natural and then God won out and, and the living soul was made. That's how, that's what's being said about the Bible. In other words, God breathed through men and, and worked through men and they came out with, with, with what God intended. Peter nails it in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Above all, above all, Peter says, more important than anything, You must understand. Just think about the strength of his language. Not you should understand or it'd be a good idea if you understand. But you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is a supernatural book that was written from the heart of God and he just happened to use human beings. He did not allow human beings to come in in its inception to muck it up. Now, here's a problem. Every faith community has a sacred writ, a sacred book. And I'm, and today my remarks, I hope that you'll understand are coming from a place of respect. But we must understand that that we have differences in the faith community, and so when you look at other faith community, whether it's Hindus who have the Vedas, that's the name of their sacred book, or the Tripitaka from uh, for Buddhists, or the Quran for uh, Muslims, uh, the Book of Mormon for, uh, that was written by Joseph Smith for the for the, obviously for the Mormons, or the New World Translation for the Jehovah's Witnesses, that's their translation of the scriptures, whatever that may be. That we that each faith community has claims, and they 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 would say we claim that ours is it. So they're really one of three options that can can happen. Because sometimes I think Christians get a bad rap that we're narrow minded and we're we're uh, we think that you know uh, th- there's this claim of exclusivity that's uh, that shouldn't be. But if you know enough about other faiths. Everybody has that, every faith community has that claim. It's just somehow we get the heat for it as, as Christians here in, especially in America. But either one of three things is true. Either we're all right, and as some people say, you know, it's all the same God, it's a, whatever book it is, it's all the same, and it doesn't really matter if it's the Bible or the Tripitaka or, or the Vedas or the Quran, that's all about the same God, it's just different names. Or, you could say one, of, one is right and the rest are wrong. Or the third option is we're all wrong. There's always an option. You have to put, you wrap your brain around that. But nevertheless, it's true. When people make the, the, the comment to say, well, you Christians, you think you're right because you think the Bible is right and everybody else is wrong. It truly, respectfully said, is an ignorant statement. It's usually made by people that don't understand and have never st- studied Hinduism. Who would say, no, they would strongly say, no, we, the Vedas, that's it. That is a holy book. It is from God and we believe it's from God. Or you've never spoken to a, a, a true Muslim, a devoted Muslim, and you don't know much about the faith. If you're saying that they're all the same and, and we shouldn't make exclusive claims, everybody and every faith claims that their book is it, that their holy, their, their holy set of scriptures, whatever that is, is it. For that reason, we must have an answer as believers in Christ, why we believe this book to be true. And that's where we're diving in this morning. The Bible says that it's inspired. The Bible says of itself that it's eternal, that it's flawless. But could we as Christians say, well, let me tell you why I believe that is true. I think it's significantly important. Now, if you're sitting here today and you don't care, I I truly have been praying for you. It's part of the problem when people don't care. Would you agree? It's true for our country when people don't care. How do I know that? Because there have been many years I didn't care. I didn't care anything about politics. I didn't care anything about my vote. I didn't care. I, I picked the nicest guy or I like this suit that he wears. He was a good debater. I'll pick him. He had good jokes. I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say that, but I, I told you before, I'm a moron. So that's how a moron acts. Now I'm, I'm a little more educated moron, so I do a little bit better. It matters what happens because we owe it to this world to say, no, it, it, there's a significant difference here in the Word of God that when we're reading it, it makes sense. Now, so let me jump in for just a little bit. We only have so much time. We could really say, hey, we're going to do a whole afternoon of this. Let me, let me pick out a couple of reasons why I believe that there is high fidelity in the Word of God. And when it says it's flawless... And it's set in heaven forever, and immovable, unshakable. That there are reasons for that. Some religious, uh, some faith communities, their book, namely the Hindus, um, uh, uh, with uh, the Vedas, and the Buddhists with the Tripitaka, they they're based on oral tradition. In other words, the Tripitaka really wasn't um, uh, compiled until the 16th century because there was oral tradition. There were, the words were being passed on from generation to generation. And so, as you know, as human beings, as we, as we trickle down sometimes with, with verbal uh, messages and whatnot, things get lost in the mix. And so when we look and when we regard this as a map, I, from that same article, I read these words. Most of the errors on maps are honest errors. But because of the way that cartographers would borrow from other maps, one cartographer's era can end up in other maps for centuries, like the whole California thing, because I'm only copying from that map, and I thought that map, and now I'm saying what I always heard. The uniqueness of the Bible is that we, for the vast majority of the Bible, know exactly who the author is and the connection that they have with God. Exodus chapter 34, the book of Revelation, there are times when God told people like Moses and John, Moses, write these words down. There's no oral tradition. There's no passing on. There's no generation to generation hoping we get it right. Moses, I'm asking you to write these down. I'm going to carve them in stone. I'm asking you to take them down to the mountain so people can see and feel and hear the words that I'm talking about. John was in the, in, in the book of Revelation. Christ said, write down exactly what you see. I want record of this. The gospel writers were writers that heard and saw and touched and camped out with Christ. It didn't come. The, the, the New Testament gospels didn't come to be four or five hundred years later after it was you know the game of telephone was passed down for three or four hundred years. In other words, these are writers that we have record of his, historically that they actually wrote down what God said to them directly and they got it right the paper and pen. Not only that. But the nation of Israel did us a fantastic favor because their responsibility in the Old Testament was to preserve the word of God, the Old Testament, as we know it now. Many people may not know the preservation process that they took. In other words, it wasn't flimsy. It just wasn't word of mouth. It was that they took it so seriously. That when they copied down the word of God, they spoke it out loud so they were less likely to make a mistake. When they finished a page, they had a small audience and they would read the page out loud as others followed along word by word, syllable by syllable. If there was one single mistake, one little error, one slip of the pen... The whole page was destroyed, and they started all over again. In other words, there was not a flimsy preservation of the Word of God. It came directly from God, and they were serious about getting every jot and tittle, as Christ said, correct and on the page. I believe that that brings to us a sense of fidelity in this Word. If it were passed down verbally from generation to generation, quite frankly, knowing me and how I communicate... I'd be a little bit afraid. I'd be concerned. How about you? Second of all, the Bible was written by 40 different writers over the span of 1500 years. The cohesiveness is stunning. The way that a writer who may be two or three thousand years separated from one another is stunning how that. Now, when you have a book like the Book of Mormon or the Quran, respectfully spoken, who is written by one man. Cohesiveness or consistency doesn't even come into play. You understand. In other words, if one person is writing a book, the consistency is is not a non-issue. Of course, that's one person. When there are 40 writers over a period of 1500 years, it adds to it considering the preservation process as adds to it. Like, wow, how did they put this together? Different regions of the world, different cultures, different ages put together in such a way that it is stunning how God used this. Now, I'm interested in this word in Proverbs chapter 30. God says this, look, it's set in eternity. So for that reason, do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and he'll prove to you. That you're a liar. Over the years, the same thing happened. Christ said the exact same words at the end of the Bible, at the end of the Book of Revelation. He said to John, "Don't add anything to it—not a syllable, not a phrase, not a you know why? Because it's set in heaven. In other words, we don't have a book that keeps growing. We don't have a book that keeps adding to. We don't have a book with oral tradition like, well, let's add this chapter. We have a book that has been set and preserved with and amazing consistency from page to page. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not with me yet. I feel like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. If you order today. <laughs> to me, these are things that, that are just solid and, and they're pillars, they're foundational pillars. But there is something that even goes past that. Watch. In, in, in Psalms chapter 18, in verse 30, watch this. The word of the Lord proves true. Okay, now you have my attention. Because of course the Bible would say about the Bible, it's flawless, it's set in heaven. Of course there, the, the consistency is important, but w- the word of the Lord proves true. I'll remind us that all through this series, this statement has been made. Fidelity must be proven. If you took at face value, okay, I guess the Bible's true because the pastor says true. Shame on you. Shame on you. But we must allow the Word of God to prove. Okay, how does it prove? Let's, let's begin with science. So many times people think science and faith are so... Uh, There's some kind of chasm between them. It's not. I love to listen to, to brilliant Christian uh, scientists. Scientists who are Christians. Who... Uh, who, would, who are who studied and, and they can answer the questions that we can't because they've studied so much. And I love how to, to see science and, and, and our faith come together. They are not two opposite things. In the scripture, there are things that scientists had no idea about that were being written, that light travels, by, by the way. Who knew that light traveled? But God wrote those words before any scientist ever understood that light travels. Isaiah speaks of the world being circular. Even when people thought the word was flat, the word of God was ahead of science because science follows God, not the other way around, by the way. And so for that reason, God is saying, let me, let me give some proof to this thing. I'll tell you what you're about to learn 500 years from now. The world's not flat, but it's circular. Let me tell you another thing. You read the book of Job, it's a fascinating science book. It talks about how lightning comes to the earth and, and before the lightning, there's, there's this movement that happens before the, the, the lightning. And that's about all this moron can, can uh, translate to you. It's scientifically, when you read Christian, uh, scientists who are Christians who look at these things in the book of Job and they explain like, wow, we didn't even know that until 1837 and God wrote it thousands of years ago. I happen to find that fascinating. And it proves true. But wait, there's more. (laughs) At the top of the list that brings proof to the Word of God is the fulfilled prophecies that are in this book. If I told you 10 years from now New York City would be flattened and I could tell you the day in which it were going to happen, would you not be mildly impressed if I got it right? All through the scripture, God would predict this city is gonna fall, this army is gonna fall, here's what's gonna happen in the future, here's what's gonna happen 70 years from now, here's what's gonna happen to my, to my people, they're gonna be in, in slavery for, for four, over four centuries, to the day, 430 years, told way before they were even in captivity. You see, if these things were written in hindsight, well, that happened back then. But, you know, there was a prediction. But the prediction came before the thing happened. And at the top of the prediction list, is his his name is Jesus Christ, if you haven't heard. It told us where he was going to be born. Hundreds of years. It told us how he would be born of a virgin. It told us of his ministry. It told us when he would get started. It told us he would be sold into slavery. He told us that told us how he would die in great details in the Psalms, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Jeremiah. All throughout that when Christ came, all these things had been been given to us. The word of the Lord proves true. And no other faith book respectfully delivered has the ability, the power to do that. Because it lacks the supernatural intervention, just to say it out loud. The Word of God is what it is. And what it says it is, it is flawless. It is infallible. We believe at 360 that the Word of God is God-breathed. It is infallible. It is exactly what God wants. It is accurate. It is flawless. And it is set firm in the heavens forever and ever. That's what we believe about the Word of God. Now, in this culture, we, it is no surprise that the Word of God is under attack. Now, we can think, well, that's a current event. It's not current at all. In fact, only a few pages into the Bible in Genesis chapter 6, or pardon me, Genesis chapter 3, the Bible, the Word of God, was already challenged. You might, un- you might remember that God said, let me tell you the-, the word, Adam and Eve. Everything is yours. Enjoy it. Knock yourself out. Have a buffet. Fruit buffet over here. Veggie buffet over here. Just ha- have a great time. Just don't touch that. Don't touch that tree. That was the word of God. And the first thing out of the enemy's mouth, do you remember? It was a question. Wait a minute. Did God say that? You think God really said that? Maybe it's your interpretation. Hey, maybe you got the wrong map. Maybe it was Siri who told you don't eat from that tree. (laughs) To begin to infuse doubt in their thinking, like, huh, there must have been a moment. There must have been a little switch somewhere in Eve's mind because she went first. A little switch like, huh, yeah, maybe you didn't say that. And the word of God has always been under attack. We know that. Today, I'm not here to point fingers at the world. I thought the Bible was stupid at one point in my life. I thought it was inaccurate. I thought it was just a religious book. I didn't know God. Why would I think otherwise? There was no, there was no spiritual supernatural revelation. When God comes in and lives in us, As a result of the second birth, he begins to open our spiritual eyes so that we see things differently. I know that for some of you that are not in the faith may sound like hocus pocus. But I could, one after another, have people stand up and say, I I don't know how to explain it. It's such a mystery that when God begins to take over, we see the world different. We see ourselves different. We see our need different. We see sin different. We see the Bible different. We see each other different. There is a supernatural difference. This is is not about uh, uh, religion. This is not about any of that. It's about a supernatural reality. So today, what is what is happening is that I'm not shocked at the attack of the Word of God or the underestimation of the Word of God or or, or the doubting of the Word of God from the world. What is shaking my boat? And the reason for for this add-on this week is the unsettling sense of the doubting of the Word of God within the house of God. The doubting and the eroding of the truth of God, the the smudging of lines and the eroding of our conviction about the word of God within the people of God. There have been in the last months major Christian leaders in America, two of which that I have one is a musician, one is a, a preacher, both of which were at the top of my list top of my list for years. The, uh, uh, we, uh, let's take the musician. I, I'm not saying his name because it's not about rock throwing. It's just a picture of what's happening in the culture, in our Christian culture. And this musician, we sing his songs. They're, they're deep, they're wonderful, they're, they're, they're meaningful and whatnot. I, I, I love what he produces. However, I was shocked, shocked at the statement that he just made publicly and I've brought it in for you to give you a sense of where we're going within the house of God. Not only am I shocked by what Christians are saying, or, or, or Christian leaders like this are saying, but I'm equally or more shocked about the nodding of heads of other believers. Like, wow, it's it's spreading like Ebola. This lack of conviction about this world. word. Watch. This, this Christian musician, very well known, said these words. Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do I believe that Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness? Yes. He's quoting from Timothy. Do I believe that God literally drowned every living creature 5,000 years ago in a global flood except the ones who were living in a big boat? No, I don't. Why don't I? Because of science and rational thought. I nearly fell out of my seat in my office when I'm reading and hearing these words for the first time. That now I'm going to be driven by the map of science and rational thought, which is not a bad thing, over the word of God. And so what happens in these moments, then you think, okay, I need a pair of scissors because I'm going to cut the story of Noah out because it doesn't make sense rationally. How about the story of the donkey that spoke? Now, that really matches up. Balaam's donkey. I'm using the nice church word. For, for Most of you know the story. It's, it's got three letters. I won't say it, but donkey. For those of you that are so easily offended. <laughs> Balaam's donkey speaking. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. My rationale. And scientifically, I've seen a lot of talking donkeys. I don't know about you. Hey, don't forget about Mr. Ed. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that doesn't make sense, so I'm gonna take that out. It doesn't make sense that God could split a sea. I mean, really, we gotta rip that page out. It doesn't make sense that a big fish could swallow a man who's gonna be living in it for three days and then gonna be vomited out. On the ground, that doesn't make sense, so we got to cut that out. A man walking on water, a man turning water into wine, that all goes. How about a man coming back from the dead? Let's take that out. Where does it stop? You're rather passionate about it. As I should be, and so should you. And it's out of compassion. It's out of compassion, not anger. I'm not... I'm not pointing the finger at the world that that, it's at us because listen, we possess in the word of God, both the predicament and the solution. Thank God that in the eighties, the early eighties, someone said to me, Steve, you're living outside of the design of God, the relationship that you're having with women the relationship that you're having with addictive materials, the relationship of what you're seeing, the, the rapport of what you're seeing and listening to, all those things, Steve, they're going to destroy you. Thank God that someone wasn't trying to be so nice that they thought that they were to offend me with truth. Because once I embraced that truth, I understood the predicament that I was a sinner like everybody else, but I was a sinner, but there was a Savior who held the truth of the solution. We are not doing anyone any favors. We think we're being nice. I can't talk about certain issues without certain without people walking out or peeling my paint after the service. Happened four weeks ago. When you begin to, to talk about the hotter issues, what's happening in the Christian world is we begin to smooth out the issue, the the, the edges. Now listen, I've got to say something to you. I love the Word of God. I don't like everything in it. When the Word of God begins to talk about human pride, I kind of wish it weren't in there. When the Word of God says I should be selfless, can we not cut that out? I don't, as a human, from my human nature, I don't like certain things. When when uh, the reality that there are going to be many human souls living in the, for eternity... Away from God, that's not something I just, just get off on. That I'm like, hey, that's awesome. No, of course not. That should be heartbreaking. When we recognize that we're human, we're humans, we're sinners and, and that it's dark and heavy and the things we can get involved, that's not something pleasant that you want to talk to, you know, and happy hour with someone about. But it's a matter of truth. And if we hide the truth just because we're afraid we're going to offend, we're also hiding the solution and shame on us as God's people because we truly lack compassion. Four weeks ago, someone, freedom of speech, hey, I'm into it, man, say whatever you want, respectfully, as long as you keep your fist in your pockets and all that. When I brought up the topic of homosexuality, I know it's a hot button. But it's there's as much there's more to talk about heterosexuals by the way, and and so but it happened to mention that topic and we just need to speak love, and the the truth of the matter is this that truth is love. If you have a, an oncologist and you do a diagnosis and the the oncologist looks at your your outcome and can see that you have cancer. And the oncologist says, "Man, if I if I tell tell him he's gonna he's got cancer, I, that's pretty. Offend. I don't you know. I can't really tell him that. I really can't bring the truth to him because it's probably gonna ruin his day. He's probably not gonna. It's gonna take me off the Christmas card list. He's not gonna talk to me if I tell him the truth. Can you see that that oncologist would not only be unfair but absolutely drastically unloving? You see." You've got a condition, homosexual, heterosexual, believer, unbeliever. We've got a condition. It's called sin. That is true. And we cannot deny that truth. And the truth of the matter is we need a solution that's also part of the truth. We're very loving when we speak the truth in the right way. I hope you understand where I'm coming from. So when I see this, this statement, I think, see, it just begins like a virus and spreads if that's not true then this is not true and that's not true and this is not true and guess what we're far from flawless in that moment now this other man's a preacher He's a pastor of a 10,000 member church no longer and uh w- brilliant speaker brilliant thinker followed him for years listened to him every single day in my in my headphones Bought every video he had, all that. And, and, and a good man, by the way. You're a good man. But I saw uh, when the topic came, just happened to be uh, homosexuality. But when the topic came up, on a, on a uh, news broadcast, he was being interviewed. These were his words. The church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. Shame on us. As if this were a human book. Shame on us. I'm praying for the church. And I'm praying the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And I'm assuming that in this room, and what God is looking for are these types of Christ followers. When you receive the word of God, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the one true word of God. You see, on a scale from one to a hundred, and a hundred being men, it's flawless, it's infallible, it is the God-breathed truth of God, and one's like, I don't believe it at all. The question is, where would we fall in this in regards to the fidelity of the word of God? Now, I'm not saying it to toot my horn, but I think you ought to know where the leader of your church, where the pastor of your church stands. I do not stand at an 85. I do not stand at a 95. I do not stand at a 98.7. I stand at 100% that I believe in the high fidelity, the infallibility, that God breathed inspiration of the word of God. And I accept it as the word of God and not the word of man. I don't care if the letters are 2,000 years old or 200,000 years old. If they're God-breathed, God doesn't have a shelf life. And culture can change from time to time. But I remind us that the Word of God is set firm in the heavens. You remember in 1983, we invaded Grenada. And the challenge was that they had a wrong map. And there was a hospital for the mentally challenged that wasn't on their map. And they went in and mistakenly destroyed, inadvertently destroyed it, and patients were killed. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. It matters what map you have. Because human souls, life and death, is at stake. This is not about our religion is better. This is about those Who desperately need to hear the truth. The first question is, do you believe in the fidelity of the word of God? The second question goes like this. If you do, if you do, what will your fidelity be? In other words, if you say, I I believe it. Then when you go to make decisions, when you're faced off in a hard place, when you have that hard conversation or the opportunity to have that hard conversation... How will you react? Will you react? you remember Christ? Can you imagine if Donald Trump came to you and said, hey, you know that outfit I built, that project I built in Chicago, and you know the one in Jersey City, and you know the one in the Middle East and all the places I built? I'll give it to you all. I'll give it to you all if you just blah, 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 blah. A lot of people were like, okay, cool. I, that, that's cool. You see, the enemy came to Christ and said, see all the kingdoms of the world? You see that one over there and that one over there? Christ, I'll give it to you all. I'll just give it to you all. If you just do this one little teeny weeny thing and bow yourself down to me. And Christ said, it is written. He fought the fight with the word of God. Listen, this is the sword of the spirit. As believers in Christ, we cannot lay our weapon down. It's life and death. Can you see the importance? I know some of you are like, dude, uh, this is way over the top. This is too passionate. This is too... It is life and death. We're the only ones who will preserve it. God selected the nation of Israel to preserve the Old Testament. God has given to us the responsibility and the heavy weight and the privilege to to preserve the word of God in our culture. Like many have given their life to to preserve. So the question is now we've talked all this series that God was had fidelity. Now he's asking, how about yours? In a culture where the word of God is being fought against, where there's an undertow against the word of God, will you stand Christ follower? Will you be like Christ and say, no, wait a minute, I'm going to go back to the map. I know you're saying this, but I I, got to go back to the map. You see, when people say, you know, I don't agree with what Steve is saying. I'm, I'm bringing this, by the way, from the word of God. I don't believe you may say, Steve, I don't think you should say that a man and woman shouldn't have physical relationship before marriage. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't my... I didn't I didn't bring this out. Steve, I don't think that you should say that we ought to give of our money. I I didn't... It wasn't my idea. Uh, Steve, I don't think you should uh, say this or... No, it's not Steve, by the way. Now, there are different interpretations of things, but history and uh, how that went down, all that. But not the the principles and the truth of God, right? So, uh, you know, as they say, don't shoot the messenger, um, shoot the Bible. I don't know how the saying goes or something. In this day and age, you should be challenged. And when you are challenged, how will you respond? Here's where it gets a bit serious, if it hadn't been serious enough for you. God made this statement about the word of God in Psalm 138. Too. Watch this. God, you have exalted above all things your name and your word above all things. So when I say to myself, you know that thing about Noah? See, my rationale, I doesn't connect with this, and so what I'm going to actually do is put my thoughts above God's thoughts. See, this whole thing about Jesus walking on water, I, and it just doesn't match up. I mean, how could that possibly happen? So when I say, not, probably not true, When I say, you know, God's saying this, but I don't know. I think what happens is I've put my own opinion and perspective above. Would you agree? There's a hard word that I have to say to you. There's a word that describes that. It's arrogance. I wish there were another word, but it's, it's arrogance. It's what the Bible calls arrogance. That my ways are higher and better. We're told in Psalm 119, David, again, back in the Psalms, he says, You you rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and stray from your commandments. In Psalm 119, verse 51, the arrogant mock me without restraint. But I do not turn from your laws. See... I'm broken, as some of you are, not about how the undertow from the world is coming against the, the Word of God, but for the people of God. You see, if there's going to be a preservation of the Word of God, it must start within our house. And so it's easy to point our direction to homosexuality or whatnot, but even within within the house of God when you begin to talk about selflessness or giving or tithing or things like that. like, "Well, wait a minute. I'm not, I'd like a pair of scissors, please. Those things I'd rather not talk about. Even if we say, man, if this is so precious and God's meant spend time in the Word of God and spend time, well, I, you know, I, I really just don't have a lot of time. Well, we're going to cut that part out. So it begins to crumble. Listen, throughout history, God has uh, taken His people through some of the most dangerous and, and, and uh, insurmountable uh, circumstances. Armies that have more artillery, not a problem for God. Armies that have a lot more soldiers, not a problem for God. Just read the story of Gideon or Moses or any of those stories. Oh, God's, where it fails is always from the inside out. So today we look at an intergenerational player in the Bible. His name is Josiah, a 20-something, 26 years old. Before him, there came a king. His name was Manasseh. And, and this guy began to say, you know, the word of God, it, it within the, within God's house, forget about it. Let's start making up our own stuff. And so he began to build statues and poles and and things that people should... that God said, I told you a long time ago, don't do this. I'm a God that's not made of wood or stone or any of that stuff. But Manasseh kept creating these things within the house of God. And then what happens is everybody begins to follow it. Someone told me after the first service this thing. Are you ready? Check this out. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. When one generation... Tolerates something, the next generation will accept it. And the next generation, are you ready? Will embrace it. May I say it again? When one generation tolerates something, the next generation will accept it, and the next generation will embrace it. This is how we find ourselves. In 2015. I'm not only shocked by a king named Manasseh. Who just who just totally. Uh, absolutely trampled over the word of God. But I'm shocked about those who didn't hold the line. About those like okay well I guess this is the way it is. I guess this is popular. I guess everybody's doing it. And all of a sudden we're we're you know. I just, I just want. You know, it's what I call the coastal view of the word of God. You know, many times I've been to Latin America many times, Belize quite a bit. And and I see these commercials on TV about Belize and and it shows, you know, the the cruise liner coming in Belize and then you hear the steel drum Caribbean music and and it looks so gorgeous. Let me tell you from being there. It's only about two blocks. It's only about two blocks. If you had the courage to go two blocks past the coastal view, where all the resorts are, where the little tiki huts are, you know, where the Caribbean music is playing, where the beautiful swimming pools, if you just go two blocks in, the rest of the entire remainder of the country is absolutely beyond mind-boggling human poverty. But we like the coastal view, and that's the commercials. So Christians, man, we love the the commercial, the the coastal view of the word of God. Just talk about love. Just talk about joy. And it's not doing, it's crumbling us from the inside out. You do you understand what I'm saying. So Manasseh had set up all these things. Watch this. 2 Kings chapter 21, 7. Manasseh took the carved Asherah pole and he had made it and put it in the temple, right in the house of God, of which the Lord had said to David in his word and to his son Solomon, The word of God in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wonder from the land I gave their forefathers. If only they will be careful to preserve and keep the word of God to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law. My flawless word that my servant Moses gave to them. But the people did not listen. It crumbled from the inside out. Manasseh led them astray because they went right after it. So they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. It wasn't only that Manasseh did it, but it was the whole wave of them say, We'll take the coastal view. Shame on our, our hearts for allowing just an inch to move away from the flawless word of God. And so here comes the hero, 20-something. His name is Josiah. And he begins to be burdened for it. He begins to be broken for it. Oh, to God, that we'd have more people in their 20s. who would say, wait a minute. The baton is in my hand. I cannot allow us to move forward, and I'm not following that anymore. Would to God in this room there were Josiah's 20-somethings who would take a stand in a generation where the undertow is understandably strong. And so he said, we're going to repair the house of God. And he goes in and he sends a crew in to repair the house of God because it was just, it was stanky. And when they went in, you know what they found? The flawless word of God. Underneath rubble, underneath dust, underneath trash, Underneath God's, underneath all those things that have been elevated above it. Underneath rationale, underneath our opinion, underneath all those things. The Word of God is sometimes stacked deep. And if you're serious about the Word of God, you'll have to dig through a lot of layers to find it. And Josiah, it was brought to him, and I want you to see his reaction. Second Kings chapter 22. King uh, Josiah, he, he was king at the time, young kid. When the king heard these words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not the not God's word. He had that, that passion. As I would just hope and pray that people would have that passion. Oh, no. Oh, we've got to do something about it. It was his heart. And he gave these orders to his crew. Hilkiah, and Anakim, Akbor, Shaphat, and Asiah, he said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Go find out more about it. See, this is a 20-something that we need in this generation. We just don't, it would be cool if. No, we need in this generation more 20-somethings. like, oh, we got to find out what's in this thing. In, verse, in 2 Kings 23, then Josiah called a whole nation together. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and he renewed the covenant of the presence of, in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. It is what I'm asking you for today. I'm standing before the people of God and I'm asking you to renew your commitment to the word of God, that it will be your rudder and not just a plank on a ship, that it will be the driving force because men and women across history have allowed the word of God to drive them even to the point of losing their lives. A few weeks ago, we spoke about Adoniram Judson, missionary in the, in the 1800s to the, to the country of Burma. He went and he spent thirty-seven years translating this this Bible into the Burmese language. Do you know how difficult that is? And by the way, that was way before uh, 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 Microsoft. And and the and the what's the the uh, language CDs? Say one. Risotto Stone. Thank you. 37 years. Hudson Taylor, my son right there, his middle name is Taylor, Wesley Taylor, named after Hudson Taylor, went to China. He dressed like the Chinese. He learned the language. 51 years in China, translating the word of God. By the way, three, three or four weeks ago, I spoke on Adoniram Judson. The week following that, my mom's doctor who's in in our church he brought to me, he was the fifth generation Adoniram Judson convert that I talk, talked about. And he said, I want to show you something. And he, turned, he brought this book and he turned it toward me. And he turned into the cover. It was a Burmese Bible translated by Adoniram Judson. A man who gave his life, who surrendered the, the lives of his three wives and many children for this book. Josiah, William Carey, 41 years in India, translating the word in their language. You might have heard of John Wycliffe. He ticked the church off so much. I love him for that. (laughs) He ticked them off so much they got so angry because he said, I've got to put the word into the mouths, into the minds of the people because the church is ripping them off, the established church. And the church got so angry with him that they killed him because he translated the word of God into the people's language. And that, you know, people hold grudges, mostly with people who are alive. The church held a grudge against him even when he was dead. And years later, they dug up the bones of John Wycliffe and they burned him because they were still ticked at him. William Tyndale, our first child, is named Tyndale Graham McCoy. Named after, we call him Ty, but his first name is Tyndale. Named after William Tyndale. Because Tyndale had a passion. And his passion, he said in these words, he said, If God spare my life, er, this is old English uh, spelling, by the way, if God spare my life, ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than, than he does. So he was speaking of this religious leader. He said, I got a passion. There's a plow boy, just a regular average teenager. I got a passion, Tyndale said, and I will translate and work hard at translate for year after year after year after year. He translated the word of God into English so that that plow boy could have the word of God. He took seriously that he had a responsibility and they hanged him. And after they hanged him, they put him on a stake and they burned him. One more. Martin Luther, you've got to imagine in history, sometimes you have to put yourself in the shoes of those men. He was the only one. He was the only Josiah I said, wait a minute. It's it's what God is looking for. And some of you 20-year-olds, I'm looking at you. Some of you 20-year-olds, some of you 20-year-olds, 13-year-old. God, is it putting in your hands the responsibility to carry in this next generation to be a Josiah, to say, wait a minute. I know our culture is falling. I know how it's going. But there must be a Josiah that says, wait a minute. We must hold on in a culture that's moving very fast. Martin Luther was such. He was a a, a Josiah who said, I'm not moving. I'm not moving and I'm going to speak the truth. And he spoke and his worst enemies were with from in the church. He was the only one that stood. So he was standing there. And they called this big council. His life was on the line. And they looked at him and they put their bony finger in his face and they said, you better take back what you're doing and what you're saying. I wonder if his heart rate were elevated in that moment. I wonder if he were thinking of Catherine, his wife, that she may never see him again. I wonder what he was thinking about his future. But here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. And he answered the question, do you believe in the word of God? And what will your fidelity be? Martin Luther uttered these now famous words when they asked him to turn back and to recant. He said, I am bound by the scriptures. I am bound by them. I am tethered to them. I will be unshakable, unmovable. This will be my guide and I will not place my life above it. Martin Luther said, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. May God help me. I love him. I love him. So I'm going to ask as we end this series today. I'm going to ask you, do you believe at a hundred percent level that this is the word of God? And if you do, no matter your age, will you be a Josiah in this culture and you will stand that God could count on you That in a moment of toughness, in a moment of heat, will you have the courage to stand with the word of God? And I'm going to ask you, if that is the case for you, that you're going to stand to your feet right now. That if you believe this is your word. Don't feel obligated, by the way. Don't feel obligated. This is the church of God right here. This is the church of God. Father, today we're so thankful for the word that you've put in in our hands. And so often and too often, God, we have allowed our thinking to follow the culture. Rather than leading a culture with truth and grace, with reality, with love, with compassion. Today, God, you see a room full of those standing. I assume, God, that they're standing in a genuine way. There may be some standing, God, here today that stood because everybody else stood. But I'm assuming, God. I am praying. I am hoping. I am pressing heaven for Josiah's in this room. As our culture moves quickly, God, we need to have a stronger, united voice. We have been quieted, silenced, and we have allowed it, God. This does not mean, Father, of course, that we're disrespectful. This does not mean, God, that we're rude. But it does, it does mean, God, that we're not afraid. We're proud, God, of your word. And we love it and we honor it above all things along with your name. So today, God, as we stand before you and in your presence, may our standing mean to you, God, that we're in like Josiah, that we're willing to stand for the word of God in a generation that so desperately needs to hear the truth of the predicament and the solution found in Jesus Christ. And for that reason, God, we pray that you'll that you'll. Fill us with courage. Fill us with the sense of sureness and confidence. Fill us, God, with compassion as those who have had the privilege of of receiving the word of God. I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.